This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. Thank you for listening to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please support the show by subscribing to and leaving a five-star rating for the show on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and any of your favorite podcast platforms. You can also support the show by going to our website, blackandgoldhockey.com, where there's always exciting articles by the BNG writing staff. While you're there, don't forget to click on the fanatics.com banner for a great sports fan shopping experience. Are you done yet? We gotta start the show. What's up, Bruins fans? Mark Oliver here, host of the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. We are here March 9th, 2020 to record episode 178, brought to you by show sponsor betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag and please use code CLNS50 when you make a deposit and uh, you get a sweet little bonus for that. We would certainly appreciate that. Um, got a, a pretty exciting uh, episode today. I, I had uh, my friend Paul Baker on, and he's a huge, longtime Boston Bruins fan. And uh, we had a lot of talk about uh, many levels of the Boston Bruins organization, from the AHL to the NHL. We also got into a really in-depth conversation about the uh, NWHL, uh, particularly the Boston Pride women's professional hockey team which Paul is a PA arena announcer. So we had a really fun talk about that um, and uh, the recent draft that went down. So um, we will definitely get into that. Um, huge shout out to our friends over at the Scuttlepot podcast, um, Mike Bond and uh, Dale Horde. They do a fantastic job. Please see this label, do a search, Scuttlepuck, hashtag Scuttlepuck. Um, Check them out. They do a fantastic hockey program, uh, and uh, I've been listening for I don't I don't know how many years now. Huge supporter of them, but they wrote a note, uh, very detailed, thanking me for the support, and sent along some really cool stickers too. So, fantastic guys, and and really good hockey talk. So, a little pump their tires a little bit. Uh, but speaking of pumping tires, we're gonna talk about today's show sponsor, BetOnline.ag. Uh, with currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, betonline.ag, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on, from their online casino to poker and blackjack. Let BetOnline bring the Vegas action to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline.ag has live Madden NFL 20 simulations you can wager on. 
if you're not into if you're into entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive a sweet welcome bonus. And please don't forget to use promo code CLNS50. That's CLNS50. Bet online, your online wagering solution. So, um, we do like like I said, we have Paul Baker on, and he's a he's a, a longtime uh, Bruins fan, season ticket holder for the Providence Bruins. I had the pleasure of uh, meeting him this past season. I think it was in January when I was uh, in Providence for a three and three weekend. So uh, great talk to him. But uh, uh, before we get into that conversation with Paul Baker, I would um, like to uh, usher in a, a message from um, Celtics great Cedric Maxwell. And he's talking about how much weight he lost when he went to uh, Awaken 180 per suggestion from uh, his his peers and, and fellow podcasters and fellow media members that also went to Awaken 180. So we'll we'll hear that right now. As I told you on Twitter, I'm finally doing something about my weight and my health. I found a solution for weight loss in this Awaken 180. My friends in the media told me about Awaken 180. It's their go-to program to lose weight without killing yourself in the gym or taking any kind of medication. Just listen to the success stories. My boy, Kyle Draper, he dropped 30 pounds. Andy Grish dropped 105, and that's not it. Scott Zolak, Steve Logan, Dan Reeves, Dr. Laura R. Carmen, and add Cedric Maxwell to the list. It's only been about three weeks and I've already dropped about 15 pounds. Turn these trying times into a reason to get healthy like me. Call Awaken. Receive the same one-on-one -on -one coaching I'm getting at home or on Skype. Also access 1,000 recipes and tools you need to your weight loss from the company who has revolutionized the weight loss industry. Set up your first consultation today at awaken180weightloss.com. And we're back. Thank you, Cedric Maxwell, for that awesome message about Awaken 180. Uh, go check them out. Check out the website and uh, see what they have to offer. Um, so uh, with that being said, let's get to my conversation with Paul Baker. And as mentioned, uh, I do have a very special guest today, and I'm really excited to, to have this gentleman on. He is a podcaster, writer at the Stadium Journey website, which is a fantastic place to go to, uh, to learn about different places around the country and worldwide, by the way. He's also an arena PA announcer for the Boston Pride women's professional hockey team, and he's a Providence Bruins season ticket holder, which I'm really excited about to talk some prospects with him. You can follow my friend Paul at Puckman or Rhode Island. Paul Baker, I'm sorry, Puckman R.I. Paul Baker, how's it going, bud? Good, good. Thanks for having me aboard. Yeah, I, I've been meaning to have you on for a couple of years now, but um, with, with what you do at Stadium Journey, and we'll talk about that, it, it creates a lot of uh, a busy schedule for your weekends. So getting you on the program or scheduling anything was tough, but look at this. It took a pandemic to get you on. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we can uh, thank the coronavirus for uh, clearing <laughs> up my schedule a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely crazy. Um, yeah. So I'm really excited to have you on because you, you, you're a longtime Boston Bruins fan, like guy, and um, you, um, you uh, a Providence Bruins season ticket holder, like I mentioned, and uh, just an overall, just a serious diehard and an absolute sick man cave. And I just wanted to create this opportunity to have you on, uh, talk about some topics that I came up with last night and this morning, but also talk about the the, uh, the man cave that you got going on over there. Always glad to uh, brag about my collection. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so. Absolutely. So yeah, um, geez, you're gonna make me wish that I studied for this uh, appearance, but uh, we'll do the best we can. <laughs> Yeah, like you I, said, uh, geez, I've been a Bruins fan for as long as I can remember. So following them from the mid-70s, 
and I've had Bruins season ticket holders pretty much from uh, from day one. So going on 30 years there now, pretty close to it. Nice. Um, so uh, let's just start off by talking about the stadium journey where you do your podcast and your writings. Um, let us know what it's all about because I find it very interesting to f- get reviews of places before you go and I think you uh, have a very valuable service that you offer to many sports fans and not just hockey all the way around. Yeah, that's exactly what we do. Stadium Journey is a sports travel website. So we've got a very uh, specific niche carved out for ourselves. Uh, We do stadium reviews. We have over, like you said, we have over 2,600 now all around the world, not just the United States and Canada. And not just hockey, we have uh, reviews of baseball. Geez, I've personally, I've done 10 different sports for Stadium Journey. But I think we probably have geez, maybe close to two dozen different sports reviewed, uh, like I said, all over the world. So what we do basically, if you were to visit Stadium Journey, it's easy to get lost there. You can go down that wormhole and get stuck for hours and hours. And I love to do that. Uh, if you're brand new going to a place, say for example, you're taking your first trip, we're doing a Bruins podcast. Let's say we're going to the TD Garden for the first time. You go to the website, click on TD Garden, and it'll tell you pretty much what you can expect by going there. What kind of food they serve at the arena, um, what prices would you can expect for tickets, for parking, for food, um, what the atmosphere is like there, if there's any special things to do either in the arena, things that if you're going there for the first time or if you've been there a hundred times, things that uh, you may want to try while you're there or in the neighborhood. We do a section on the neighborhood, uh, the reviewer's favorite places to eat, things to see around the arena. We try to hit everything. So, for example, at TD Garden, I don't know how many fans know about the Boston Sports Museum that's in the building. So that's something I highlight in the review. So try to give a good picture of what to expect, maybe give some travelers, some newbies, some ideas of what to do on your first time at a place. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely an amazing um, tool to have when you're traveling. Um, and it definitely gets right on point. Um, what'd, you give her, what'd you get a review on the TD Garden? Well, the TD Garden ha- keeps slipping over the years. Uh, <laughs> when I first did it, I think we do it on a one to five scale. So we, we split our reviews into seven categories. And each category is graded one to five. The first time I did the review, I've been working for Stadium Journey now for seven years. So every year I go back to the garden and we review it. Started out in the mid fours. I think last year it slipped below four for the first time. It's a 3.86, if I remember correctly. Two reasons really hold back the score. One, the price. When you compare the garden to other venues around the NHL, it's one of the more expensive venues. Uh, and also the comfort. Now, we all know about it, and I, I'm sure you guys have talked about the renovations to the garden. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to sit in the, in the seats in the upper deck, but they are horrible. And being a bigger guy myself, man, it, my back hurts for a week after going to a game now, which never was. It was never roomy. It was never spacious. But those seats now, which were well-intentioned, I mean, they tried to put in seats that had better padding and were more ergonomically correct, you know, helped your posture maybe. But they're, they're too tight. And if you're over... If you're over five foot nine or over 210 pounds, you can't fit in them. So it's bad. And I'm glad to hear that they took some fan feedback in mind and that they're going to replace them. Yeah. Again, so those are the two re- yeah. Those are the two reasons why the garden score is not maybe as high as some of the others. Yeah. It's, it's rumored that the, uh, they're going to do a lot of res- renovations. And if they, if they are, they should be doing them now, but um, who knows when, when hockey's ever going to come back. So yeah, um, yeah there's uh yeah, the fans spoke and, and they weren't happy and it's good that they, like I've said in the previous podcast with our, our co-host Heather, um, they should have did an R&D kind of thing. Like, you know, get your season ticket holders involved in a project, you know, and when they come to a game, let them go into a line and just say, here's three rows of seats. Mm-hmm. Sit down. Are you comfortable? I mean, it's not, you get a mock little stage and mock something up just to, to just get an idea, but it was all to me. It was all corporate. Uh, adding adding one more seat to every row, I believe, yep. and and the ninth floor. I, it was absolutely horrendous to begin with. I like the seats up there, though. It's fun, but uh, it's good to see that they added more seats all the way around. 
Yeah, it was funny. I went to a couple of games this year, and I also went to a Celtics game because I reviewed the Celtics and the Bruins. Uh, one of the games I went to was one of the former, I think it was where they had the handicap area before, and they just put in all new seats. But it's only accessible on one side, and it's a row of about 20 seats. So every time somebody had to get up, I spent the whole game getting up and down. It was really aggravating. And yeah, the ninth floor is really strange, too, because uh, I was able to go up there for the bean pot when I covered the bean pot. And now they've got levels hanging down off the side. I'm glad my seat wasn't there. And then they've got tiers of seats up in the top, too. So uh, they're trying to modernize it, keep up with the times. But, uh, yeah, you know, some things hit and some things miss. Yeah, absolutely. Um... So uh, just a couple of questions to get you get uh, my listeners a little more and a um, little bit, you know, familiar with you. Um, what or who inspired you to be a Bruins fan? Was it a, a parent, a friend, or just the game itself just came to you? Uh, let's see. My Actually, my parents are not sports fans at all in the least. So it's kind of funny that I turned into a big sports fan. And I have my uncle, Sid, to thank for that. So I would uh, – my mom was a single parent. So when she was working out hours, she worked in the restaurant business. So a lot of times she had some weird hours. So we would go stay with my uncle Sid quite a bit. And he was a big sports fan, Bruins, Red Sox, Patriots. He actually lived in Attleboro. And at the time, a lot of the Patriots players lived in his apartment complex. So we got to go up there a lot. And when we were up there, I'd go hang out with him and watch the Bruins or the Red Sox. And and that's what hooked me, really. That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, the uh, the fiftieth anniversary of the nineteen seventy Stanley Cup uh, championship team is tomorrow on Mother's Day. Shout out to all the mothers out there. Um, you guys are all awesome. And uh, were you around for that, Paul? Uh, nineteen seventy. I was four years old, so I don't oh. remember it now. I, okay. I really started watching during the mid seventies, so the Don Cherry years and Lunch Pail Lacey, and that's where I kind of cut my teeth on the Bruins. Nice. This the the Stanfields, the the Pie McKenzies, and the Markarts, and so on, huh? Yeah, kind of in the transition between them and uh, you know Middleton. Rick Middleton was probably my first favorite player. I got to see the end of Bobby Orr and and a lot of those guys you mentioned. But yeah, more really got started getting to the sport. You know, seventy four, seventy five, and then so I got to see them uh, lose to the Canadians in the finals a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible memories. That's what happened every year. Oh, I know. That's what happened every year. <laughs> it's nice to see the times have changed, though. <laughs> um, yeah, we have been able to turn the turn the tables of the last decade or so. <laughs> uh, Paul, I want to ask you a question about uh, some contract negotiations, particularly one with Tory Krug, the defenseman for the Boston Bruins, um, and w- with the uh, the salary cap restrictions right now of a flat cap, uh, and even Yaroslav Halak taking a little bit of a cut. Um, do you see possible that he comes back and uh, joins the Boston Bruins team next season? I really hope he comes back. I think he's really an underrated part of this team. Really, uh, this team has been really driven, I think, by its power play the last few years. And he is absolutely the quarterback of the power play. We've seen it in his absence that the power play really seems to struggle. And yeah, like you said, the salary cap considerations are going to be huge. I think I've heard rumors that, yeah, the most well, with all the uh, stuff going on with the pandemic, the salary cap, I've heard it might even go down, but at most it's going to stay level. So it's going to be a trick to fit everybody in. But he has said that he wants to stay in Boston. So maybe that means that uh, he'll take a little bit of a hometown discount to stick around. We yeah, I hope, I hope so, because everybody else seems to be doing that. It's the winning culture, uh, you know, theory. So... Uh, I'd like to see him stay because there's, there's, not, there's not too many defensemen out there that um, put up his numbers, especially on the power play. I mean, it, it's literally the Bruins power play has been lethal with him on the ice as the bumper and the, and the quarterback. So uh, he just plays such a valuable role. I know so many people, like, they like to nag on his size and so on, but I like the way that Bruce Cassidy and, and, uh, and assistant coach Kevin Dean – they match up a bigger defenseman with a smaller guy, and it's, and it's it's a little better. You get a shutdown guy and then one transition to get out of the zone as soon as possible. Um, so it, he's definitely a value, and, and his point production is uh, is second to none. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point because you've kind of got 
a complimentary set there with Chara now at, at age 41 and what he can do. And Krug, you know, Krug's an offensive guy. Chara's now a defensive guy. So you put them together, you've got a solid guy you can mix and match. Yes, absolutely. Are, are you actually optimistic on a season returning this year and, and thoughts on playing the regular season game? There's 181 games remaining that all teams have to take care of. So it's basically 12 games on an average. Um, and thoughts of a regular season return or latest reports are saying that they could just jump into a, uh, I believe it's a 24-man team playoff. Yeah, I would rather see them jump into a playoffs. Uh, I don't, yeah, 180, 181 games left. That's about a month worth of games to squeeze them in. Even if you could start at the best estimate, they're looking at mid-July, I guess, to start. So that takes you into August and then a two-month playoffs. That's September, October. Uh, and keeping the guys all quarantined That at that point, and not just – the players, but you got to think the players, their families, uh, it's still going to take a crew of how many people, maybe 100 people to keep a, the game presentation going with the arena staff and everything else. There are a lot of variables there. You know, a lot of places where things could go wrong or the virus could get introduced. One guy tests positive, you got to shut the whole thing down again. Yeah. So I would rather see if they are hell-bent on getting a champion, and I kind of hope they are, let's let's jump into the playoffs or let's play a few games. Maybe not, maybe not the whole game, maybe three or four where the guys can get back into shape or even I would be fine with them doing a smaller playoffs, take the top eight teams, take the top 12 teams or something like that. Uh, I don't know. There's, I don't, there's no perfect solution right now. It's and everything up is up in the air right now. So hopefully they can do something. Right. Um, it's a shame for us because, uh, yeah, Boston and Providence were both playing fantastic. Oh, it's unbelievable. When it's the like, seasons got shut down. Yeah, it's like I, I, on most nights, especially the weekends, I had – and the office here is, is full of freaking TV screens because when there's a prospect on, I'm usually tuned into watching it. But majority, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever, if the Bruins are on and the, and the Providence Bruins are on, I am watching both of them. And they were just phenomenal seasons coming down the stretch here, especially Providence. And the way that some of these players were playing, we'll we'll talk about that later on. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, we might as well get right into it now because, as a longtime uh, Providence Bruins season ticket holder, um, could you compare a little bit about what you saw in this team this year, and where they could have gone, minus this stupid pandemic, Ugh. and could you compare them? to the 98-99 championship season. I believe their second year – oh, no, that was the seventh year. Yeah, I would not go as far as comparing them to that team. That was one of the great – all-time great teams, not just in Providence history, in, in, in AHL history. Uh, at the time, they set the record for most points. Uh, that was a team that could turn it on and off at will. And uh, they ended up winning the Calder Cup actually in five games. And I'm convinced that they lost game four on purpose so they could win it at home. Nice. They, were, they, they were just, it was an incredible team. And funny enough, it was a team loaded with, uh, you know, in baseball, you'd call them 4A guys because there weren't a ton of guys who ended up having really long NHL careers. You know, a lot of guys got up for a little bit, but none of them really made a big impact in the NHL. So it was a lot of guys, tweeners, they were really, really good AHL players. Just couldn't make that next step. There was one part of their game missing. Yeah, that was an incredible team. This this team, I wouldn't call them on that level, but who knows? They could have gone on a run because before the season stopped, they had won, what, 12 or 13 in a row? Yeah. Before it stopped. So it was a younger team, I think, and really were starting to find themselves. And, uh, yeah, they could have gone a long way this year. What What is it about Jay Leach's system that, like, this year is different? Uh, this year they started off better than I expected, but the three previous seasons before that, and it, it, it was probably a lot due to what was happening at the NHL level with injuries and that, sh that roster shuffle that goes on. And, and you're, the, you're the pivotal point of um, minor pro development and so on. So that's gonna, you're going to take the biggest beating on your roster. But Jay Leach seemed to struggle, his team actually, and, and staff, 
they seem to struggle at the beginning of the season, but all of a sudden when the calendar year, new calendar year comes around, they, they ramp it right up. But this year I just saw something different because they started off good, then they rode that fine line of 500 hockey, and then as soon as the calendar year turned to 2020, they really picked it up, and I just thought that, man, if, they, if, if it didn't stop, they had a solid team that they could really rely on and, you know, you know complemented by the goaltending. And the goaltending has been the, the bread and butter, I, I believe, this season, starting off with Max Legassi, and then as soon as December 1st came around, it was the Valera show. Yeah, both those goalies played fantastically this year. Yeah, uh, Legassi was, was brought in to do what he did, uh, be a solid AHL goalie, be some insurance in case – Rask or um, Halak. Why, Halak. Yeah, why was I blanking on his name all of a sudden? It's all right. No one, <laughs> I, see, I do it all the been, time. We, we've been without hockey for a month and a half now, and I, I can't remember anybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My wife's in the kitchen yelling, Halak! <laughs> <laughs> Tell her I said hello, by the way. It was nice meeting her. Yeah, Mark says hi. <laughs> um, where were we? Oh, yeah. Um, one thing to remember is Jay Leach was a brand new coach when he got the job. How long has he been in Providence now? Three years. I, so I, I think it's yeah, it's really taken him. It took him a while, especially the first season, to kind of find his legs and his system. So another point you made is minor league teams exist to serve the big club. So injuries play a huge role. You could have a stacked roster. Uh, you get some injuries up in the big club, like we did this year. Um, and half your team is all of a sudden gone. They're called up. So that affects things. And the turnover in a roster, you get on a team like Providence, about half the team is new every year. So it takes a little while to get the system and to buy into the system. You got to have the right kind of kids come in. And I think that's something you saw this year. I think the talent of the new kids was outstanding. So they didn't really slump at the beginning, but when they found their legs, boy, that that team really hit its stride as the results showed. Yeah. Uh, let's jump it back to the NHL for a couple minutes. Uh, thoughts on that team? 100 points at the pause. And, and, and you know, who knows where this team could have gone. I mean, the way they were playing, I, I, I really wanted to see another Stanley Cup final appearance and, and, and try to get that. Now, last year's – all right, let me ask you now. Was, was last year's more hurtful than 2013? Oh, Absolutely. Uh, 2013, they were the underdog to Chicago. And uh, last year, they should have won it. The, the road opened wide open for them. I mean, everything that they wanted to have happen. If, you know, if you could have predicted an easy path for the Bruins to make the cup finals. T- Tampa lost in the first round. Yeah. Uh, Washington lost early. Pittsburgh lost early. So it, it, all the dominoes fell their way. And when you entered the finals, you thought St. Louis. Oh, nice. We got this. Because uh, St. Louis really was a heavy underdog entering that that series. So to come out in that game seven and just fall flat. But, you know, that's that's the way playoffs work. It's all, all about matchups. St. Louis had a bigger team. They played harder. They played heavier. And uh, just wore the Bruins down. They had nothing left in the tank. And, you know, injuries always play a role, too. But both teams, both teams had injuries. As a as a Providence Bruins fan and season ticket holder, um, seeing Jordan Bennington that was here on loan the year prior to his Stanley Cup raising uh, campaign, um, he I I thought he was good. I thought he had a point to prove, and he did it with it within an organization that accepted him in. Um, but uh, to to come right back out and and, and midway through the season just. Wow, I mean that the way he played was just unbelievable, and and, and his game in Providence uh, has a lot to do with it too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I don't think he was regarded that highly when they sent him to Providence. It was kind of a perfect storm that we ended up getting him because we lost a lot of our prospects, and we had uh, McIntyre was our main goalie. So it's tough to come in from another organization because you're not going to get the reps. You're not going to get the time that perhaps you would if you were in your own team system. But Bennington played really well, I thought, over the course of the year. And he was the better option as compared to McIntyre for Providence that year and uh, ended up getting a lot of the playing time down the stretch and through the playoffs. So I was surprised that he did so well as a rookie, but not not totally surprised. Right. 
yeah and and just to come from here and go to there and then basically it's put it right in our face but yeah not a hell of an effort hell of a story and you know if you if you watch any of the spit and chicklets go on the youtube and watch his interview because there's a lot of mind games going on with him and, and management like you need to believe him saying that you need to believe in me and and I'm going to come back and make you eat your words. And, and he, he did that exactly. So yeah. pretty impressive story. Um, moving on to, you know, to say, you know, it's kind of like a Providence theme, but in your opinion, who, who would be a permanent fixture from Providence this year going into the 2021 campaign for the NHL roster? Hmm. Uh, I would have to say Jack Stadnika would probably be the biggest candidate to uh, make the jump next year. Uh, again, it's going to depend on how many spots are open. I don't know how the Bruins roster looks like as far as uh, spots that are going to be up for grabs. But uh, Stadika showed he was ready. He got a little bit of a look last year and, and did well. His issue is his size. He's a, he's a slight guy, so there's room for him to put on some, some weight on his frame. Um, Jeez, well started. You know, who was uh, for amongst the first round, first year guys, uh, Jakob Lako was very impressive. Uh, he's still a ways away, I think. I don't think he's ready to make the step up yet, but I think down the line, you're going to see him in Boston. Um, Vladar really made a giant leap forward this year. So uh, with us having two very uh, veteran goalies up in Boston, I think you're going to see him up in a couple of years. And I think you'll see him really carry the load next year in Providence. Our goaltending prospects are looking fantastic. So the team, I think, has really looked down the line and said, look, in a few years, we're not going to have Rask or Halak. We need to be ready. And they've set themselves up to be ready. Yeah. Um, for, for me, uh, Stadnika, if there's a center of position available, I, I don't see a lot of value in him moving to the right side. Um, but a, a player that can play center and left wing and they used a lot of him at the left side, and I noticed it. And it might be a positional move for him in his future, possibly next season. And to add that little bit of grit factor that everybody seems to clam for that was lost in the 2019 Stanley Cup Finals is, is a player like Trent Frederick, uh, who has a lot of uh, aggression on the ice, uh, willing to stick up for his uh, teammates. Uh, but he also adds a lot of attributes to the game that I see fit on a roster, especially a fourth line. If you don't want to take back Joaquin Nordstrom, I think he's definitely gone. Yeah, he, could so. be, he could be a real uh, steady spot uh, for that position. But it's that center role for me for Jack Sadika because he really thrives in that, in that uh, middle position. Um, and, and, and he had a really good year. I mean, just his shorthanded time and what he did with shorthanded goals, leading the league as a rookie, yeah. I thought was phenomenal. Yeah, and a little-known fact, maybe, uh, he also led the league in fights. Oh, Frederick did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and oh, yeah, yeah. Well, our shorthand, Providence's shorthanded team was a weapon last year. It was crazy. It was absolutely yeah. crazy. But, yeah, Stadika there got on a roll, and, you know, it's like almost every other game for a little while you were coming up with a shorty. So. Yeah. Um, talking about the goaltending, but I, I see so many good things. Like I always say, it's been a small sample size from de December 1st to the uh, pandemic shutdown, but there's this really something positive to see there. Uh, the addition of Jeremy Swayman from the, uni the University of Maine this season, I think is going to be a really solid 1A, 1B, which puts a, a, a goaltender like Max Legassi, who was a UFA at the end of this campaign, whenever it closes, um, is going to be a free agent. I don't know what the situation with him is going to be because it's, 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 it's interesting to think about. Because if they sign him to expose him in the expansion draft next next summer, That's right. you're going to run. A, you know, you, you can't not play him. That, that's just ridiculous. I don't think you'd want to sign him if he's not going to be played. I don't think Legacy's going to. I think he's going to see what's coming up with Vladar and Swayman and just say, "How am I supposed to compete with this and get playing time?" So yeah. it it still leaves one goaltender that's going to be exposed to this expansion draft. And I'm not saying Seattle is going to come to the de developing depths of the Boston Bruins organization to grab somebody, but Vladar, after being a third year pro in the American hockey league is available to be picked. Yeah. Yeah. Kaiser and, and uh, Slayman wouldn't be 
exposed. But yeah, Vladar could be put out there. So yeah, okay. It's not even about his NHL games, Paul. It's it's if, if right, you're it's just a certain year of, of exactly. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Which is, I mean, back in the day, that was the same thing with Subban. Yeah. Well, it turned out all right. <laughs> we brought people were upset when we lost him, but he didn't. Uh, he didn't pan out the way we, we hoped. Um, I want to talk about your Boston Pride experience because this is. And I'm a, actually wearing a jersey right now. Yes, I saw that, <laughs> and I and I I had to take the note down, but I wanted to talk about it because you are the uh, arena PA at the Warrior Ice Arena. Yes, I am. I do the uh, Boston Pride games. Do the PA. Uh, I did the actually did the NWHL All Star Game, which was held there, and that was an absolute blast. It was a thrill to be able to uh, be part of that show. So yeah, what a what a season the Pride just had, and it's not done yet. They've got one more game left, and hopefully they'll be able to get it in before uh, too long. Yeah, that's the Isabel Cup, if I'm not mistaken, a, a yes. championship that they have won in the past. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the draft was held, uh, I believe, a week or two ago. Yep. And uh, Sammy Davis was the first round pick. Um, I'm going to get a little conspiracy theory going with you here because um, the the new Toronto franchise on the uh, NWHL, um, they traded their pick to the Boston franchise, mm-hmm. which is that both teams are associated somewhat with them with themselves because um, from the last time I've heard in a couple podcasts, I've heard from uh, from others out there that um, the affiliation, I mean, not the affiliation, but ownership is owning the Toronto team for now, at least, but they traded the first round pick to get Boston university, Sammy Davis. What do you think her addition is going to be to this team that was just absolutely lethal? And I think if I'm not mistaken, was the record 23 and one. They were 23 and one during the regular season Won their one playoff game. And uh, like you said, we're down to the Isabel cup and the whole pandemic broke out. On the Wednesday, everything got canceled and shut down on the Wednesday. The Isabel Cup was scheduled for the Friday. Oh, two so, days away. Yeah. <laughs> so they haven't outright canceled it. Their plan is to still hold the Cup final game. So maybe in the fall, we'll see what happens. Uh, the advantage of it being a one-game one one-off is that, you know, you can get everybody together, have them practice for a couple weeks and keep them in isolation. It's easier to keep people in isolation for that short of time. And then – uh run the game. So it'll be strange to have a, you know, a three or four month gap in between the end of the playoffs and the, the championship game. But yeah, during the season, uh, the pride were unbelievable. 23 and one, they averaged, uh, I want to say they averaged six games, six goals a game, and they only let up like a goal and a half a game. So oh, a lot of, that's a huge games, differential. <laughs> a lot of the games just weren't even close. Uh, they had the top scorer in the league, the top tied for the top goal scorer, I believe. Uh, they had the MVP. They had the goaltender of the year. Uh, the defenseman of the year was also from the Pride. So, yeah, they swept the awards as well, as you would expect for a team that went 23-1. and won. Yeah. And uh, former Boston Bruins, New York Ranger, and NHL are all together. Paul Mara is the head coach of the, uh, the franchise. Um, and he's done a, a fantastic job. I believe this is his second season with the club. Uh, this past, well, I guess I could say this current season because it is t- technically still not over. Yeah, it was his second season. Right. And he's really uh, changed the culture of the team. Like you said, the Pride had won the Isabel Cup. They won it in the first season of the of the league. This past season was the fifth. They had also made the finals in the third season. So, geez, what year is I'm I'm not sure what year that was. But that year they were also really a stacked team, and they ended up going – something like 17 and one during the season, but ended up losing in the finals. Uh, Brianna McLaughlin of the Buffalo Buttes had an incredible game, made like 70 saves that game in the final game. Wow. And Buffalo pulled off the upset. I think it was four to two or four to three. Yeah. 70 saves. It was one of the most incredible, uh, you know, Bruins fans can liken it to the Ron Tugnut game. Oh yeah. Yeah. Back in the garden. (laughs) Yeah. Um, they, They just peppered her all game and she was a, Brick wall. I think their two goals were actually both very late in the game. So, he's um, not sure if you know any about the uh, NWHL rules, but with Sammy Davis being the first round draft pick, is she eligible to play in that championship game when it returns? 
Yeah, see, I don't know what their plan is, and I, I don't think they really have come up with the hard and fast rule because what if someone switches teams? I know it doesn't happen very often in the NWHL because the players, because this isn't their only job for the great majority of them, they're not making a salary uh, where they can, you know, just be, be a pro hockey player and not do anything else. And that's kind of the whole the whole deal behind the schism in women's hockey right now. Uh, so pretty much everybody is locally based. So it's very unusual to see someone go from Boston to say, you know, Minnesota. Right. <laughs> you, you know, the, the uh, commute would be terrible. So most of the ladies are locally based, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. Something I've asked. I don't, I don't know the answer. Uh, yeah. If they take the final and put it, say in September before the next season starts, uh, the rosters are going to look different. So what do you do? Yeah, exactly. And they're, they're poised to be a very exciting team. Not only was Sammy Davis the first round pick in this year's draft, but uh, they had uh, another player from UMaine. Uh, she was fantastic. Watched a ton of video on her as soon as the draft was happening. I, I thought that draft was, uh, was put on very well online and so on. Um, of course, in, in these days. But uh, the league really does a fantastic job. And hopefully the NHL can get a better grasp on what's going on down there with those, with the talents and, and, and their promotional, um, you know, future. Because there, there is something there that needs to be held on to. And I just think that, is, is it because of the NWHL and the PWA, whatever, and it, they just can't get along together and, and work together? And do you think if they ever coincided their differences that the NHL would kind of get more involved? Well, here's, here's the way I see it. Um, both groups, the PW, I always get the initials wrong, PWHPA, P, no, Pro Hockey Women's, well, whatever it is. The, this, the splinter group is really made up mostly of the national teams and, and the uh, NWHL. Both, both groups have the same goal. Both groups want to see a viable women's professional hockey league where the players can make a sustainable in income so they can be pro hockey players where they don't have to be teachers during the day and hockey players at night or, you know, have other jobs. All, all the women on the pride that I know that I've been able to speak to have separate careers. So where they differ is how do we go about reaching this goal? The PWPHA would like the NHL or something to come in, finance a league. And let's make this like the WNBA. Okay, they want the support from the NHL and uh, have the competitive salaries, the insurance, all the perks that go along with it. The NWHL is saying, let's, let's get this league, let's get it run by women, and let's build it up. So same goal, two different approaches. Now, ironically, uh, you know, you're looking for a pro women's hockey league and you've got one that's basically run by women, promoted by women, and, be, and building slowly, you would think that would be the way to go. The PWPHA is kind of waiting for the men to come save them. So, which is, in my mind, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But so, you know, I work for the NWHL, so not a surprise that I would align with their business model. Right. Yeah. And, and hopefully it just grows because it's, really, it's a really good product. There's a lot of interest, um, you know, especially when they get uh, some events together like that. The, 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 um, the Warrior Ice Arena is, is a fantastic place for them to play. Um, and I, I'm, I go there a lot, not for, uh, for pride games, but for development camp and practices and so on through the Bruins. But um, yeah, it's just a, it's an awesome program. I want to see keep going. Well, I've got to tell you, when uh, when the place is packed for the Pride Games, it it is rocking. It is a lot of fun. If you haven't checked out the games there, I would highly recommend it. Um, and these women can play. You might say, well, you know, the top players, the Hillary Knights and and the Alex Carpenters, and the best players are not there, so it's it's second rate. No, these these women are fantastically skilled. There is a lot of speed in the game. There's a lot of skill. You know, there's not the hitting, but man, it gets feisty down there. I, I have the advantage of being right there on ice level during the games, and <laughs> these these ladies are into it, and uh, it can get nasty. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, Paul. So now it's the what I call the meat and potatoes of this show because I'm really excited about this. 
I want to talk about your 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 insane man cave. I know we had to move because of the internet connection and so on. Yeah. But um, I, I'm going to post a video. I mean, a picture right here for the YouTube viewers. Um, look at this wall. It's just unbelievable. And 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 there's a lot of pucks, a lot of signatures. But uh, tell me the story of it. And and if you happen to grab a couple, uh, um, let's talk about them. Okay. So. Uh... So you're putting up the picture of the Bruins part of the puck wall, I'm assuming. Yes, I am. The one I, I sent to you. Yep. So that is my collection of autographed Bruins pucks. There are a total of 581 different pucks on that wall, all autographed by a different player who has played for the Bruins at least one game. So to get on that wall, you have had to play in Boston for a game. Uh, like I said, 581 players. The sad part about it now, I think the one I sent you was one I just took. So as you could tell, um, I've got the pucks all stacked up. Uh, people ask me all the time, well, how do they stand up? They're, they're not stacked. The case, they're in plastic cases, and the plastic cases are affixed to the wall. Nice. Did so, you make those? No, those are the plastic cases you can get for a dollar. Oh, okay. Nice. The, the tough awesome. part is there are different models of plastic cases, so i got to make sure I have consistent ones. So <laughs> the wall all crooked. <laughs> and, no kidding. And yes, they do fall sometimes. I've had what we call a puckle lanch happen a few times. Um, and they are they are arranged for those of you who are wondering, they are arranged alphabetically. That's awesome. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, you know, you'd never know who was there. Because, you know, you, you can know how scribbles are. And I've also got every puck marked on the back, so I know who they are. Um, was that Bobby Orr's? Oh, this one here? No, I, I figured we'd get into a story. Bobby Orr's, actually. I got Bobby Orr right here. Oh, nice. Nice. So each one of those pucks, over 500, was a, was a personal experience with a player and signed it. That's, a, that's amazing. And it just it tells you how much you're involved into the, into the Bruins as a, as, a, as a huge diehard. But the collector in you is, is phenomenal. It's an addiction. But it's just it's, it's awesome. I, I would love to do something like that and ha if I wish I had the time and the, obviously the funds to buy all those pucks and, and, and have those experiences. But – that must have been amazing just to meet so many great people that you have grown uh, to really admire throughout your, your Bruins fandom. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's, it's a lifetime of collecting. Um, when did I see? I seriously started getting into the pucks when my kids were born. So, geez, my son is going to be 29 in a few months. So it's almost 30 years of collecting the pucks. Uh, I will admit not all of them have been obtained in person as the collection has grown. And it became for, well, let's get, you know, let's collect a few of these autographs to let's see how many of these I can get. Um, some of them have been gotten on eBay or through trades, a uh, very small percentage. I'd say less than 5% of them. So Still, that's the impressive. All the rest I've gotten in person. Um, the advantage of living down here near Providence is getting the guys before they, they hit it big. Um, so they play their one game and you're right there. Uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the year, I'll look at the roster. All right, who's the Boston draft picks? Who's got a chance of making it up? Make sure I get those guys when they do their, their team appearances. I've uh, never been one to wait outside the arena, so I've never gotten one outside of an arena. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not what I prefer to do. I've gotten them all either at card shows, autograph appearances, uh, team events, stuff like that. Um, golf tournaments. I've gotten a few golf tournaments. Um, nice. In addition to the Bruins pucks, I've got another couple hundred from different teams. Um, like a guy we were talking about, uh, Legacy. He's never played in Boston, so, but he was under a Boston contract. So, like this year started, they did the Bruins signings for the uh, for the season ticket holders. I had a Bruins puck for him, and I had a Vegas Knights puck for him. Signed a both, so he's on the other puck wall. Nice. And I've got nice. uh, 64 Hall of Famers in my collection, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. I don't think there's – there's probably only maybe 100 living Hall of Famers right now, so pretty good percentage of them. Um, the total puck collection right now is uh, 1,818. Damn. So I've got three puck walls. One is the Bruins wall, which you put up. One is other teams. And then I've got about almost 1,000 just pucks. Wow. Which are That's amazing. on another wall. <coughs> Excuse me. That's amazing. And, uh, yeah, well, a few. what was amazing about it is a few years ago, I decided I had the bright idea. You know what? I need to keep track of what I got. So I took all the pucks down, photographed them, uh, logged them. I've got a big spreadsheet of all the stuff. 
that was a project that ended up taking months to put them all back together. <laughs> I, I, I had been off way more than I could chew, and I've got pictures of the parts all just in stacks and everything. It was, it was insane. Geez, if you knew there was going to be a pandemic, you should have done that this time. That would have been a great project to do, <laughs> yeah, this, this uh, last couple of months. <laughs> I always have, I'm always tinkering, I'm always uh, changing things, order, and because my man cave has more than just brewing stuff, it's really, Boston, it's got all four Boston sports, so there's baseballs and bobbleheads, there's books and books full of autographed cards and pictures, uh, there's football helmets, um, pins, pint glasses, you, you name it, it's in there, bats, so I'm always tinkering, I'm always moving stuff around, uh, it's... It keeps me uh, keeps me busy, I guess. Keeps me out of my wife's hair. Um, and speaking of the shrine to all sports and, and notably hockey, because it's a Boston Bruins podcast, um, talk about the people that reached out to you. I believe they were from Canada. Okay. Yeah, the uh, the uh, last spring, 2019, when uh, the Bruins made their cup run, actually a guy from Channel 10 here in Providence put out on Facebook, we're looking for the biggest – Bruins fanatics out there. Um, we want to interview, want to do a feature on the fans. And he said that he got an overwhelming response. That you got to talk to Paul Baker. So uh, Tony Gugliotta was his name. He reached out to me, uh, came over and did a, a little feature that aired right before a game one of the Stanley Cup finals on Channel 10. And somehow this company in Canada, uh, run by a couple, great, great uh, couple, they came down. Uh, Aaron and Angela Bell. They are out of Belleville, Ontario. They've got their own video production company. They've done, geez, uh, they've done documentaries on uh, OHL teams. Uh, they did one on uh, Gordie Howe, I believe. They've got a, they've got their whole website. I should have written it down before then. I can give that. No, to you. I'll put it in the show notes. So yeah. as soon as this is published, I'll put that link there so people can just click on it, yeah. and it's all connected to them. So. And they were doing a series of videos on collectors. They started with the original six teams and they had, they went and they filmed a guy's collection from Toronto, somebody from Montreal. They were looking for somebody from Boston. Somehow they got a hold of the channel 10 piece. I did contact me and asked if they could come down. They came down with their kids um, one weekend last summer and filmed the man cave and did this incredible uh, documentary on my my collection, which ended up being about 15 minutes long. It was fantastic. It made it look so professional and so nice and so incredible. Uh, interviewed me. Of course, the day they did it, it was probably 100 degrees. And, you know, with all the uh, sound equipment and video equipment, we couldn't have the fans running or the air conditioner. And it was roasting, but it was a lot of fun. And the final project just came out incredibly. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I've seen the video several times. It's very impressive. Check it out, please. I, I mean, if you have 15 minutes of time, it's just it's well worth it to to get a better perspective of of, of a diehard fan that's got a passion for collecting and um and and getting these experiences with with players and so on. Um, that's that's wicked cool. But I, I'd love to hear a couple of stories about some of these pucks that you might have grabbed uh, on your transfer from the man cave into the better internet um, area. Sure, sure. Um, actually, my my uh, best puck stories probably don't have to do with Bruins, but I'm going to tell them anyway. This is a Bruins podcast, but the stories are cool. So I would have I'll start with the probably the oddest puck in my collection, which is uh, right here. Let me get it near the camera here. Whoop. Is that the Wheeling Nailers? Wheeling Nailers. I don't. You'll never guess who this autograph is. Oh no way! I can't even. I can't. It is Alfonso Ribeiro. Carlton from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> he was doing an appearance at a game. We were, my wife and I were taking our annual hockey trip that we do every, uh, every winter. One of our stops was in Wheeling, West Virginia. We happened to be there on Alfonso Ribeiro, 1990s night. That's funny. So we said, you know what, let's go get an autograph. And, you know, he was signing the pictures and everything. And Pam said, go get a puck. So I grabbed the Wheeling Nailers puck, had him sign it. So that might be the most unique puck in the collection. Nice. But probably my favorite story is right here. It's a Canadian's puck. Sorry, Bruins fans, but it is a Canadian's puck. Um, <laughs> my eyes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bobby Sheehan played on the 70-71 team that uh, upset the Bruins in the first round. Probably the, one of the greatest Bruins teams ever. 
got knocked out, of course, in the first round by the Canadians, thanks to the work of Ken Dryden and others. So uh, my friend Ben, who is also a big collector, was helping his father-in-law at a bingo night at a local high school, at Bishop Snake High School down here in Dartmouth. And he called me one night, Paul, oh, Paul, oh, you got a couple of, of Canadians pucks? I'm like, I'm sure I've got a couple Canadians pucks laying around somewhere. Why? Grab the pucks, grab a pen, and get over here. So I get over to, you know, hightail it over to the high school where he's working the bingo night. You know, it's Catholic high school. They're doing bingo night. So what, what do you need Canadians pucks for? The, uh, the gaming commissioner who was inspecting the bingo hall that night was an ex-Canadians player, Bobby Sheehan. So I showed up with my Canadians pucks. He was so happy to see them and happy to sign them and, uh, you know, give us a story, tell us some stories. And I don't think he ended up doing any inspecting. I think he talked to us the whole night. But, it, it, yeah, like you said, it's stories like that that makes the pucks. It's not just something that I went into a store and bought. These are right. – every puck has a story, and I've got 900 different stories here in my collection. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, all right, a couple, real quick, a couple of Bruins ones. I did bring a couple of Bruins ones in. Um, the Bobby Orr puck. Bobby was funny because uh, when I – Bobby used to never sign – he rarely signed autographs, and he never signed pucks. And I get into this on the video, the collector series video. Um, I wasn't going to give up a chance to try to get a hockey puck signed by Bobby Orr. I mean, he was my idol growing up. And uh, we saw him. The Bruins used to hold a carnival every year. I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with the carnivals. Bruins Wives Carnival, right? Bruins Wives Carnival. And yep. I miss that every year since they stopped doing it. But the first one I ever went to, geez, was probably uh, early 90s. And Bobby Orr was garden there days. At, at the garden. Yeah. Oh, the garden was a dump, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, I think I got high there kid. for the first time. <laughs> and I was a kid. I was a kid and I wasn't even inhaling. I was just breathing what's, the air. What's that smell? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember those days. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, Bobby was in there and he was signing the, uh, the gold picture. So, of course, grabbed one of those and said, Mr. Orr, would, please, would you, would you sign a puck for me? a big collector and he you know he gave me the once over like all right is this going to get turned around and put on ebay for a hundred right. something dollars but he, he did he he says he wouldn't sign anything without personalizing it so like, what's your name it's like, you can write whatever you want on it i don't care you can write fuck you <laughs> i don't i don't care don't care and he signed it and that's fantastic um the first autograph I, I will give this man credit for really getting jump starting my my collecting passion in the puck the puck wall, and this would be uh, oh, a signature very familiar to all you Bruins fans. Uh, Ray Bork. One of my favorites growing up. So um, Bork did a, an appearance. Ray Bork and Rick Middleton, two of my favorite all-time players, did an appearance at a place down near my house. And I went with my ex-wife at the time and got up to the front of the line. <laughs> she went into labor. <laughs> oh. Well, it, what, she didn't go into labor, but she got a pain, you know, labor yeah. pains. And she must have turned white because – uh, Ray jumped up and <laughs> she's like, don't worry, don't worry. I'm not due for another month. He says, I think you're doing a couple hours, <laughs> but he was so nice. Him and Rick Middleton both were so nice. And just, it got my experience off to a, to a, you know, a roaring start. Maybe want to go do more. So I got to give him credit or blame, maybe depending on, on what you're saying to, uh, to really dive headfirst, really heavy into, uh, into collecting. And I'll show you one more. We're talking about great stories. We got Woody Dumart here. Oh, no way. That's um, awesome. Now, Woody is one of my favorite stories because, again, I saw him at a card show. It was in New Bedford. Card shows used to be a lot more common than they are now. There's a couple of good ones, like uh, there's one in Mansfield every month that's a really good one, really inexpensive. And uh, there's a couple a year at the Shriner Show that usually get some big names from around the country. But there used to be card shows every every other weekend. Well, that's how those guys, those those retired players, used to get a, a decent yep. wage after they were done playing. Absolutely. So we went into uh, this card show, really small one, and went in. And the card show was up ahead of us, and then down this hallway was this table with this this elderly gentleman sitting there all by himself. We're like, hey, that's Woody Dumart right over there. So we went over there and got me and my buddy got his autograph, and again, nobody was there. So we sat, we must have sat with him for about an hour, and just he told us stories back in the day. 
Now, he was one of three of the Kraut line. Am I right? Yep. And okay. he, he told the stories about that and uh, how when they won the cup, because he was on two cup winning teams, I believe. Yeah. And how just it wasn't a big deal back then like it is now. You won it, they gave you the trophy, and you went in your locker room. That was it. There was no big ceremony. There was no parading around. And right. That was it. So much different than it was today. But the nicest guy, and he ended up passing away a couple of years after I met him. But that was just to be able to sit with the old timers is always such a thrill and hear their stories. Oh, man. You must have been melting when you heard stories of Uncle Milt. Yep. Absolutely. Mill Schmidt was another guy who was just fantastic. And when you met him, it wasn't like sometimes you go to these appearances and it's an assembly line and you don't eat, you just see the top of the guy's head and they sign it, pass it, sign it, pass it. Right. But when you get to sit and talk and feel valued, even if they look up and ask you how your day's going, shake your hand, even if you get that five seconds with them, it means so much more than just having a page full of scribbles that. Yeah. Personal acknowledgement, man. It means a lot. It really it does. does. And, and hockey, having, geez, my collection, I don't even know how many autographs are in my collection. I would say upwards of 10,000. Oh, um, my God. It gets I, even bigger. It's crazy, Paul. I, I haven't had many bad experiences, but hockey players are, by and large, the nicest, most down-to-earth people out of all the different sports. Agreed. Absolutely agree. Uh Paul, do you have any more? Is that it? Oh, um, those are the only ones I brought inside. Do I have more? Yeah, I got two thousand. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, even inside the house here, where when I when I moved in, Pam already owned this house when I moved in, and uh, I was like, I don't want my collection to take over the house. And she said, I know where you can do it. She had the finished room over the garage, the Fonzie apartment. I like to call it. Nice. Now, for those of you, for those of you who aren't old enough to know. Hey. Happy days. Happy days. Fonzie lived in an apartment up over the garage at the Cunningham's house. And that's where my man cave is. It's an apartment up over the garage. So just took it out. And uh, you showed the picture of the puck wall before and how tall Show it is. It again. When we started it, it was about half that size. I can't believe that I filled up that wall with hockey pucks. That's in awesome. The last, in, well, 15 years time since I've been with them. So it's that's amazing. awesome. All right, Paul. Well, listen, it was it was a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for the time. It was also a pleasure to finally meet you in person. I came down from the the Providence Bruins um, media box and um, came down and said hello to you and your wife. Uh, please mention to her, I, I said that, uh, happy Mother's Day. And hey, if the listeners are ever there, we're, we sit in Section 101 right down by the glass. Come down and say hi. We're always willing to meet fellow Bruins fans, so unbelievable seats unbelievable view and unbelievable people so nice to to finally get you on the program and um again happy mother's day to everybody out there all the mothers uh you guys are unbelievable uh thank you for the support and paul thank you again so much for this opportunity um we'll definitely get back together we'll talk uh might even have you on if you're willing to talk about some providence bruins just for a full program right there so Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Come on anytime. If you can catch me once we, uh, once we get back to normal here. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, continued luck on the Stadium Journey uh, podcast and website. Are you still with Obey the, Obey the Puck? Yes, uh, I actually do. I do two podcasts. We uh, alternate weeks. It's uh, some of the same crew. Uh, Dan Kalachico and myself do both podcasts. We have uh, Kelly Levy does the uh, Obey the Puck podcast with us one week. And the other week we do the Stadium Journey. We have Dave Cotney and Mark Viquez do that with us. Um, you can find both those podcasts on thebradyhicks.com, or you can just, you know, search them in your, on your phone and your, wherever you find your podcast, they're there. Ron, uh, you can find Stadium Journey on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, we're on all of those. So yeah, fo follow us away. Listen, uh, we try to promote each other. You know, we're all a big happy family trying to make our niche here. So Glad to cross-promote anytime we can. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for mentioning all that stuff. Um, I got to get back on. I got to find a way because you guys dropped the Apple podcast, right? Well, what happened is our site, we were with uh, HIAC Talk Radio. Yep. And uh, the site crashed and haven't been able to get it going. So that's why now you can find all our podcasts, like I said, on uh, thebradyhicks.com. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Paul. And, and again, Really appreciate the time, you know, scratching to figure out some Bruins talk, but 
this was a great addition to the week and we're going to keep it going. But um, thank you for the time and, and, and the experiences that you mentioned. I wish we could have spent a little more time in the man cave with the internet, but it's okay. We got it. We still got it. We salvaged a really good show. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. So um, take care and um, we'll talk to you guys soon. Hey, thanks for having me anytime, Mark. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please share the show with your friends and family and don't forget to subscribe to and leave a five-star rating for the show on your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Between shows, help us keep the Bruins talk going by visiting our website, blackandgoldhockey.com, by sending an email to blackandgoldhockeyblog at gmail.com and by following the show on Twitter at blackandgoldpod. Peace out.